Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. Hey, this is Senator James Lankford, not in Oklahoma this week. I'm actually in Washington, D.C., and uh, getting the opportunity to be able to talk about election security. So thanks for joining us for the breakdown. This is a conversation that goes in a little deeper depth than uh, what we can go on the news or in other settings to be able to break down a complicated issue and hopefully be able to break into its individual parts and help people understand some of these big issues that are affecting our nation in very simple ways. Joining me today uh, behind the microphone is Jacob, who's on the Intelligence Committee, who serves me for the last year uh, and deals with a lot of complicated issues. Jacob, this is the first time for you to be in the uh, breakdown to be able to walk through the issues. Thanks for joining us today. I want to tell everybody that's uh, tuning in today a little bit about your background and uh, how you came to this spot. Great. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, obviously, this is an issue that uh, is very important to me and it's something that you know that I've worked on with you for the last year. So I obviously uh, have had some experience before coming to the committee, but um, my specific background in this area is it has been through the military. Uh, I served for 21 years. And in that, in the last job that I had, I worked um, on the House side and got to work for another Republican member that uh, all things cybersecurity were very important to him. So we worked on a couple of issues that were close to this and got to see a lot of the threats and a lot of important information that are directly relevant to the conversation that I think we're going to have. Well, you've spent a tremendous amount of time not only serving the military, and thanks for doing that for two decades, but working on cybersecurity in particular. Uh, this is a complicated issue that you don't just uh, kind of dip your toe into. Uh, you've got to go and get immersed and meet the players and be able to find out some of the big issues. So I appreciate you doing that. The The reason that this becomes so relevant even right now is pretty obvious. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of conversation across the country about Russian interference in the election in 2016. That's no big shock. If anyone in the country doesn't know about Russian interference right now, uh, then they've just missed out on the news and the conversation in the last two years. No question the Russians were trying to uh, get engaged in causing turmoil in America. The election of 2016 was one of those ways, and a lot of people miss the fact that the election was not the goal for them in everything. It's just the latest thing. Russians like to just get involved in every country around them. Anyone who's an economic rival or who's a real rival, obviously every single member of NATO, most of Eastern Europe have seen this over and over again, where the Russians will try to find some divisive issue in that country, and then they'll go on social media, they'll try to be able to stir people up, pick both sides of an issue, and see if they can't rile it up. They'll buy off journalists in some of these Eastern countries and uh, see if they can't get uh, big ads going on or stories uh, that they can help place or to be able to uh, get it affected and how they can affect their own domestic policy. They did this in Ukraine. Uh, they've done this in Germany. They've done this in France. They've done it all over the place. Now they've come to the United States. They're doing the same thing. They pick both sides of an issue, whether it be religion, whether it be race, whether it be elections. If they can find Americans that disagree with each other, they're going to try to amp it up. You know, that's absolutely right. And it's not just Russia. We see Iran involved in this. We see North Korea. We've seen China want to get involved in this space. And we're also seeing hackers for hire. We've seen individuals that uh, they want to collect a lot of important pieces of data and they want to sell it to whoever's willing to pay the, the highest price. Um, they, they make themselves available on the dark web and they've been 
often uh, sponsored by a number of these these uh, actors that we've been talking about. Yeah, it, it's a different day because we used to, let's say three or four years ago even, you would talk about being hacked by the Russians or hacked by the Iranians, and you would assume that it's a nation state, that their government has somebody they've hired to be able to do it that works for their government. Now that's not so much true, like what you're talking about. A lot of times it is just a hacker that's somewhere that they've hacked into something, and so then they're selling their product. And they'll go to the Russians or the Iranians, or they'll try to find who wants this information I was trying to go go get into. And it's kind of a freelance mode now. It's very, very difficult to uh, do what's called attribution, to be able to figure out exactly where this came from on this attack. We just know what happened. Just this week, and we're recording this at the very end of August, but just this week, uh, Facebook, Google, Twitter have announced hundreds of pages and groups and accounts that were run by Iranians or Russians who were trying to influence the U.S. election right now, the 2018 election, uh, different groups from Iran and from Russia. Microsoft in the past week announced uh, that they just took down a bunch of accounts that were fake accounts uh, that were going after conservative think tanks, going after Republican groups, uh, going after official Senate websites. Uh, we also had the Democratic National Committee announce this week that they detected what they believe was a pretty sophisticated attack to try to get into its voter database, very similar to the phishing attack that went after Hillary Clinton's campaign during the 2016 uh, time period. That's just this week. And we have a lot of people that are coming after our elections, and they're going after just who we are as Americans uh, to try to stir things up. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's really important. And I think it's important to also distinguish between the different types of threats that we see. So, I mean, obviously, we see the maligned influence uh, campaign, especially by Russia. But we also see the attempts to, to hack into the specific internal communications of the, the candidates, as well as the election infrastructure. And that you can even break down even more specifically between the attempts to hack into the voter registration databases as well as the voting machines or the tabulation of the votes. And I think that's really where it's important that we look at, especially as it relates to the Secure Elections Act. So let, let's take two big buckets of where we see foreign powers trying to be able to mess with us just around elections. And there's lots of issues that they're trying to engage to be able to stir us up as Americans. But take the two big buckets of how they're trying to do it, because it is two different groups within these governments and entities but distinctly different. One is online, trying to be able to stir us up. That may be social media, that may be in trying to get op-eds, trying to get opinions out there in, in among Americans to get us fighting and arguing with each other. That's them creating fake news, that's them creating fake news stories, and trying to see how many places they can put them up to see if people will share them or put them out there. And it's just completely false or just a little bit false. Uh, so it throws people off a little bit and, and gets people riled up. That's a whole influence piece of it. Then there's a separate thing. That's the second bucket. And that is really strategically trying to be able to hack into states, trying to hack into uh, voting machines, trying to hack into websites of uh, the secretaries of state and different election officials and see if they can't find a way to be able to affect what's happening there. Those are two different issues. Today and for the next couple of minutes, I want to really focus on that second issue. Uh, there's a lot we can talk about with the influence peddling and then trying to be able to move online, creating fake personas and trying to be able to turn people out. But the second part of it is really, really insidious, quite frankly, uh, because it's a foreign government trying to find a way to get into our voting system and to find a way to be able to affect us on how we vote. Voting machines, uh, voter registration, uh, voter files, uh, or trying to be able to affect the actual machine itself. So let me break down a couple of things that are happening. 
not every state votes the same way. Those of us in Oklahoma look around the rest of the country and go, doesn't everybody vote the same? Because all 77 counties in Oklahoma all vote the same. We have this optical scanner where we take out the marker, we mark the ballot, we put it through the optical scanner, it counts the vote, we see it, we see it change on the machine, and then there's also a paper ballot that gets stored there as a backup. We assume every state does it that way, but they don't. <laughs> lots of states do it different. In fact, what's interesting to those of us in Oklahoma, we can't even imagine this. There are lots of states that even within that state, they may have four or five or six different ways they vote even within the state. A lot of states don't have a state system of voting. They have a county or township way of voting. And from county to county, their style of voting may be different. Some may be an optical scanner. Some may be a machine that has no paper at all, kind of like an iPad where you vote on it from there and then register your vote. Uh, some of them only have paper and it's hand counted. There's all kinds of different systems of counting even, even when it's machine counted. So the complexity of voting uh, is really fascinating for us nationwide. But every American wants to know their vote counts. No one's voting that shouldn't be voting, and no one's messing with their vote after they voted. And so the important thing is now we've spent a lot of time as a nation trying to be able to protect our voter data, our voter rolls, protecting voters, making sure they're safe at the voting place and everybody's vote gets counted. And then we find out the Russians want to pop in and see if they can't just mess with us a little bit on Election Day. So the key thing that we've got to be able to focus in on is I don't I don't count on some county in Georgia being able to protect themselves against Russians trying to invade them. We've got to be able to step alongside them. I, I try to tell people all the time, elections shouldn't be a partisan issue, though your vote is partisan. The fact that we have free and fair elections shouldn't be a partisan issue. This is a democracy issue. So this is not some partisan issue about whether we should have or shouldn't have secure elections. Let's give that as a given. We're going to have secure elections. Now, what's the best way to do it? What I'm trying to encourage is a very simple way to do that is to make sure that there is some kind of audit trail, that if you vote, there's some way to be able to check that after the fact, that to make sure the number of people that voted and the number of votes counts, and that if there's a problem with the machine, like what we have in Oklahoma, if there's an optical scanner at some point, that machine has a problem, you can go and check it against the paper ballot. The states can determine what's the best way for them to do it. And there's all kinds of different options for how they can vote and how they can verify that. But some kind of way to do it. And then the second part of it is to make sure every other state can trust other states to just have a simple statement that every state should be able to audit their elections. Now, they can pick how they want to audit it. But after the election is over, and it's not a recount, but after the election is over, they can audit, do a spot check in different counties and places just to make sure their machine count is correct and everything's running normal after the fact. You don't want to have a situation where everyone's second guessing the count of the machine, not knowing if it worked or didn't work because there's no way to audit it. The crazy thing is not every state can do that. We can do that in Oklahoma, but not every state can do that. So I think you'll you'll also hear a lot of people ask, well, why is this legislation needed? I mean, isn't the federal government already working on this? And I tell them that, you know, that the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, they have been working on this. They spent a lot of time trying to remedy some of the problems that they identified in 2016. But it's clearly not enough. I'll tell you, though, the the uh, Department of Homeland Security, they have done a lot of work in this space and they've made a lot of contacts within each of the states. Their communication with the states is much better. They set up the Election Infrastructure Information Security and Analysis Center and that they have communication with over a thousand members in, in all 50 states. And so that's a really good start. They also have 
put out a lot of what uh, is called as Albert sensors. But the most important thing about these sensors is that they're able to detect a lot of the, the bad activity that uh, is trying to get into our election infrastructure across all of the states. But it isn't covering 100% of the states. And the communication isn't with everyone. So the, the important piece of this bill uh, in the Secure Elections Act is requiring some baseline level of communication with all of the states in order to make sure that they have the right information that they need in order to address the security vulnerabilities. Yep. If you're dealing with it, and, and people do ask me all the time, they ask you all the time the same thing, are we better in an election posture now than we were in 2016? The answer is absolutely we are. We're a lot better. There's security clearances in states. Uh, there's lots of cyber assistance that's happened over the past uh, couple of years. Department of Homeland Security has done multiple briefings with states. They've done practice exercises, what they call tabletop exercises, where they work with states and say, okay, what if they're being hacked? And so basically there's practice rounds to try to figure out what they're going to do with it. There's been a lot of uh, requests done by states coming to DHS and saying, okay, what can we do and can you help us with this? They fulfilled every one of those requests Department of Homeland Security has. So there's been a lot of preparation, but we're not done. We still have five states in the country that still cannot audit their elections at all. Uh, we have another nine states that at least some of their counties can't audit their elections at all. Now, again, none of those are in Oklahoma, but we in Oklahoma on a federal election count on everyone else's election uh, being auditable and being fair. So we've I've put out a bill. You've done a ton of work on it uh, as well as we've all worked on this together to try to figure out how do we actually secure our elections. So learning from the lessons of 2016, there are a few basic things we're doing. Requiring the elections in states to be auditable and then requiring that they do some audits to just be able to check it after the election. Also making sure we get security clearances in the states among state leaders, election leaders. So if there's a problem, the FBI can quickly talk to somebody and get that corrected. Last time in 2016, the FBI went to some of these states and it was months and months and months and some of them over a year before they could actually get the information that the Russians were trying to hack into their systems. We can't have that again. We've got to be able to learn the lesson. The legislation itself also reinforces that states run elections. Now, let me just knock this around for a second. Some people think it's a federal election, and so shouldn't the federal government run it? No, elections are run by states, and that's part of the genius of our election system. It's very difficult to hack into and to be able to control because our systems are different all over the country and from county to county. As long as each of those systems can be audited, then it shouldn't matter what system it is. That state runs it, that state designs it, and they can assure the, their own voters they protected it and assure their neighbor states that they've actually protected it. So we want to keep that because that's one of the strengths of our system is the uniqueness of the states running the elections. So key things to run through. States run the elections. Let's make sure elections can be audited and that they actually do some audits on it. And let's make sure we get good communication between the federal government and the states so that when there is a problem, it gets solved very, very rapidly. That's what we're trying to work on. And again, good news on this. The administration's already working on this a lot independently right now, and this has been a nonpartisan issue. Uh, my partner in working through this in the Senate has been Amy Klobuchar, who's a Democrat senator from Minnesota. Uh, she and I vote dissimilar in a lot of ways. We have strong agreement on this one, and we work together extremely well on it. So we'll find ways to be able to continue to work together to be able to help preserve this. As I said before, this is not a partisan issue. It's a democracy issue. And so we should be able to learn the lessons from 2016 and to be able to apply them for the future. Any other final thoughts from you, Jacob? 
No, I just want to say that we're still very optimistic about getting this bill passed, and I think that uh, I think the Rules Committee, who has jurisdiction over this issue, is working in good faith with us, and, and they want to see this thing passed, and we want to get it moved to the, the Senate floor and get this enacted into law. We do, and uh, we've spent a lot of time, you and I both, uh, talking to a lot of state leaders from all over the country, talking to a lot of election officials and election attorneys and uh, a lot of uh, different folks trying to be able to make sure that we get this right. Elections need to be protected. People need to be able to know their their vote counts, and that's a, a strong part of our democracy. But if North Korea or Russia or Iran or China or some domestic activist group wants to come after us, we need to make sure that we don't ignore that. We need to make sure that we put the system in place to be able to make sure we protect that for the days ahead. So thanks for joining me in this, Jacob. Thanks for all your work on this for the past year, because this has been a full year work on this piece of legislation. As it moves through committee, as it gets what's called marked up and moves to the floor, moves to the House, and moves to the president's desk, uh, I look forward to seeing how we can solve this the issue about election security for the 2020 election and for every election after that. So thanks again for listening in uh, to the breakdown. I uh, look forward to getting a chance to communicate with you. Anybody's welcome to always reach out to us at langford.senate.gov. That's G-O-V, langford.senate.gov or on social media platforms at Senator Langford, or just uh, track us next month as we join you for the breakdown again. Thanks so much.